Hello and welcome to EM Talk. EM Talk is a podcast sponsored by Axon Education and the Texas EMS School, and we are devoted to diving into the real world of EMS and everything relative. We interview real EMS providers, real hospital providers, real patients, and get the real story on what's going on currently in the world of EMS and what we can do to make it better. This is uh, the first episode in a while, and it's... um not because a lack of wanting to do more podcast episodes, just more that there's other stuff that I had to do that was more important. Um, and I, I don't know that there is much more important than sitting down and either talking to someone else or talking to myself, but I do a lot of talking to myself that has nothing to do with my podcast. It's just how I operate day to day. And, uh, during uh, one of these sessions of talking to myself and uh, along with a session of talking to a current and, uh, I guess, former student now, he's an alumni, uh, I started thinking about something that almost everybody in EMS experiences. I I don't know anybody really that's been in EMS for a couple more years that hasn't had this experience, and that experience is the first code, you know? Uh, you may have that first uh, code, cardiac arrest, if, if you're not understanding. You may have that first code when you're in your clinical setting uh, or your field experiences. You may have that first code when you've been working for a while. You may have that first code when you're at a hospital. It may be your first time doing a, a CPR at a random place where you're just operating as a citizen of of this wonderful place. But, um, you know, everybody's got that story. Everybody knows what it feels like that's been there, that's done it, but somehow it just feels a little bit different, and that memory is just a little bit different for everyone. It's one of those unique experiences that not many people, I mean, compared to the number of people on this planet, that not many people can say that they've been a part of. Now, they may have witnessed someone's death, which is on its own a very tragic and and, uh, and odd experience, but they may not have been hands-on trying to reverse, you know? And and I don't know that that's the best word. It's a word that I use often to describe how we do CPR, but it's really not accurate. You know, when I teach CPR, I I teach it in such a way that that I don't emphasize the fact that that the heart is the the thing we're trying to to keep alive. The heart is the tool, and and I think this is true for for anybody that teaches CPR. The heart is the tool that we're using. You know, that's a fact. We're using the heart to try to keep the brain alive. When we do CPR, it's not just that we're trying to get that heart moving again so that it keeps the body alive, we want that person, we want that patient to walk away from that incident. And I think it's a very rare thing to experience that. And I know providers that experience it all the time, and I I don't think necessarily that it's because they're doing it better than some other provider. And and that is going to be the case occasionally, but I I can say that pretty much everybody I've met in EMS is going to try their hardest in that cardiac arrest situation. But I can say that some people have seen these people walk away from a cardiac arrest more than others. Now, that being said, just remember that as we go into this story 
as we go into uh, this discussion amongst myself, I'm going to be by myself on this podcast, so just me talking to myself and recording it, really. But remember that I consider CPR's goal to be that we get that patient from cardiac arrest to operational and walking out of the hospital. Um, now, that, that in itself, again, is just such a, a rare thing, but it's becoming less rare because every year we learn something new. Every year, you know, these, uh, these doctors, these paramedics, EMTs, nurses, um, just a, a whole group of people devote their time and energy to coming up with the next advance. They come up with what we're going to do next to, to make people's lives better, to try to help. So uh, I just, you know, thinking about that and, and teaching CPR often. I mean, I teach CPR uh, multiple times a month to people that are just researching, to people that are physicians, PAs, people that work in the emergency field, people that don't, new EMTs, old paramedics, new paramedics, um, it's just so many different people that I'm teaching CPR to, and I just, I can't emphasize to them or explain to them usually what that first code felt like, you know? So let's start from the beginning, because that's going to be my goal, is to finally get it out. What did that feel like for me? So let's start from the beginning, learning CPR for the first and second time. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. I'm a teacher, I'm an instructor, I'm a CPR teacher and instructor as well, but in high school I took a CPR in a health class and did not pass. It wasn't necessarily because I didn't get it or didn't understand it. Uh, it would probably be more because I did not pay attention. Now, it, it was interesting to me, but there were a lot of things in life that were more interesting to me at the time. Um, so I didn't pay as close attention as I should have, and I just didn't put any effort into it. I never really thought of it as something that was, that was relevant at the time for me. Now, looking back on it, I wish uh, everybody would leave high school having their CPR certification. But anyway, so that was the first time I took CPR. The second time I took a uh, full CPR course was to prepare to get into the EMS field, okay? So... I go and I take it at this place and it's it's a uh, instructor and that's that's what this instructor does all the time is teach CPR and uh, the instructor did an excellent job and I learned it you know quickly we had the videos the booklet all of that um, and it was excellent it was a great experience and I walked away feeling pretty confident uh, I think I only felt confident because she was very positive instructor and I had no idea what CPR was really going to be like. And again, because it's hard as an instructor to, to emphasize that, to get that across. You know, how do you articulate that kind of a feeling and that kind of experience? And so I, I really didn't expect her to be able to do that, nor did I know that she would want to do that or, or should try to do that. Um, so I went on and I, I started EMT school and uh, I went to an excellent school. Um, we can talk about that some other time. But uh, my instructors there were great. My experience there was great. But yet again, it's it's very difficult to for them to articulate what it's going to feel like. And I didn't get any codes 
during uh, during my clinical time while going through EMT through paramedic yes and, and at that point I had already had several on my own working on a truck so it wasn't really all that big of a surprise at that time but going through EMT I never had one until I started working on a on an ambulance and so you know we used to practice all the time we'd practice physically and and that becomes a muscle memory thing you know you get used to the compressions and how fast they should feel and how how far down you should press and how to let go and how not to put too much of your body into it. I even remember one time in class, and this is not a bragging moment, this is uh, hopefully I've grown kind of thing. Um, the instructor told us how impossible it was to really do good quality compressions for more than just a couple minutes at a time. Well, I was like, ah, nope, I know I can do better than that. And of, of course I did. I mean, you know, uh, if you know me, uh, not even that impressive because of how uh, physically fit I am. Um, obviously, that is a, just a not funny joke. But anyways, I did fine on it and um, just simply because I had, to, I had to prove myself. And I thought, man, there's no way that I wouldn't be great at CPR. Look at how great I am on this mannequin. And I, not to discourage anybody, if you're good at doing CPR on a mannequin, that's great. But I promise you, it is just so different when it really happens. If you haven't experienced it yet, you'll see. And um, anyway, so I prepared physically. And then in my mind, I, you know, I, I would think about it. And it just became this, this waiting game. You know, everybody else had their first code. And, and I just wanted to know what it was going to be like. And so every, every day I got on shift, I was like, well, is, is today going to be the day? Am I going to get my first code today? And I worked in a high trauma area initially. The the co the codes the the calls we would run were mostly related to vehicle accidents. We had a major highway uh, running through, and we were the only EMS service for like nine hundred something square miles. So I worked a lot of wrecks, and and that was I mean I don't know a better word for this. I guess it was fun, you know, wrecks, MVCs. That's what you get into EMS thinking is. Yeah, I'm going to work all these cool car wrecks and destruction and carnage. And I don't take that to mean at all that, that I think that's a, a great thing. I don't. It's just you have to have something to look forward to. I, I wish that there was never anything wrong with anybody. But if it's, something's going to be wrong, that's the difference between, you know, just uh, civilian life and, and being in the first responder world is you may not want anything bad to happen. But if it's going to happen, you want to be the one that's there. Because you trust yourself to try to help and to do the right thing and to help other people. So, anyways. So, it just really became this big waiting game. Uh, not really hoping for it to happen, but knowing it would happen and knowing it needed to happen so that I could get it out of the way and know how I responded to it. I needed to, a moment to learn from. And so, I just kept waiting for this, this learning experience to happen. And, and really, I, I've kind of determined that uh, the perfect code, and, and perfect you could probably put in quotations, it, it's kind of like uh, the rights of medication administration. you got the three rights of the perfect code. The right time, the right patient, the right place. And I, I would think sometimes you could say the right provider, but as I said before, we're all trained to do CPR in essentially the same way, or you're supposed to be at least, uh, with minor variances and protocols of different areas, but you know it's the American Heart Association is the required uh, CPR teaching and instruction and guidelines. So we all pretty much are going to do it the same way. So the right provider is just one of those. You know, hopefully, um, and in all the cases that I've seen, 
you know, the provider is, is there to, to help and to do their best. And so really it's three rights, the right time, the right patient, the right place. And those, those make what, what I would call a perfect code because those are the, the, that's the situation where it might, it might create a, a possible positive outcome from it. Okay. That's the kind of patient you, you could possibly have a walk out of the hospital. The thing you're looking for, you know, not just the heart beating again, but the patient uh, surviving, the brain surviving, the patient walking away and living out the rest of their life. And that doesn't happen very often. And, and my first code definitely uh, did not meet those, those criteria or that criteria. So this was the, the setup of my first code, you know. Um, I was asleep, uh, so time was a factor. Um, not in the outcome, but just, you know, it, it, it was late and I'm, it just wasn't, you weren't sitting there waiting for it to happen. So, um, I was, uh, asleep. It was not cold, but it wasn't hot. So the temperature was great and, uh, it was dark outside. Uh, the tones go off and I, I won't give any specifics here. I won't even tell you where I was because I don't, I don't want to relay any information that you shouldn't have, but um, the tones go off and it's like, okay, what is this call going to be? And then they said those words, you know, they said, uh, patient is unresponsive, uh, not sure if they're breathing. And I thought, oh my gosh, this could be it. This could be the first time. And, you know, I thought to myself, oh man, what do I need? What am I going to do first when I get there? What is the patient going to look like? Am I going to know the patient? Which, why would you, I mean, that's so random. Why would you know them? But it's, it's hard to determine what's going to go through your head when you have an experience like this for the first time. And so I get in the truck with uh, my partner at the time and, and she did excellent. Um, this was not her first code and thank goodness for, for her being there and being able to guide us through that. Um, she did a great job and, and so did the other responders that showed up. But, um, anyways, I, I'm just not sure what to expect when I get there. And so we get in the truck, we take off. Uh, um, we didn't take long at all to get there. Uh, I got in the back and started getting the stuff out and ready when we got there. And we go in and, you know, in, in all of the scenarios that you run, the, the patient is always just laying supine on the floor uh, with a sign on them that says, start CPR now. And it's like, well, that's not what this looks like. I walk in and it was not that at all. I was kind of surprised. And I don't know why I ever thought that that's exactly what it would be, but that's how they train you. So, you know, something could be said for training in odd CPR situations and odd uh, places, kind of like how I train for intubations, you know, train to intubate in a car and in the dark, upside down, laying down, uh, backwards, whatever trained for what it could really be like. So anyways, we go in, patient is in a strange position. So there's one of my criteria out the window. Um, the time was out the window because nobody knew how long they'd been there. They had just woken up and found the patient. And, and, uh, so there's two of my criteria gone and the, the patient was not, uh, I mean, there wasn't any obvious thing that I could see that was initially wrong other than they're not they're not moving. So it's not like I knew for sure that this is what caused this when I first uh, get to the patient. So anyways, first thing we got to do is the patient uh, responsive, right? So that's, that's your sequence every time is, 
BSI, scene safe. Um, and then once we get past all that other stuff, we get to the patient and are they conscious? What's my LOC? So uh, I try to wake the guy, doesn't, doesn't do anything, no pain response, patient's unresponsive. I call a cab, that's what we call it. So you, uh, you do circulation, airway breathing, so you look, listen, feel, and nothing. Uh, no breathing, no pulse, um, no, uh, no nothing. And so we've got to move the patient into a, a better position because, again, they weren't ready for us like they should have been, I guess. And uh, that obviously they couldn't have been. There's no, no way to, to be ready for that. So um, we, uh, we get the patient in the right position. And um, that ended up being a hassle because of where they were. And you'll find out that that's pretty common uh, for that to be an issue. And once we get them in position, it's time for that first compression. You know, the thing that I trained physically for, I mean, that I was so great at in class. And um, that's, that's with some sarcasm right there for sure. But I, uh, I start the compression. That was my job. And, and, and really, I would say that probably uh, in... It took me a lot longer to start than I thought it would just because I was I was trying to think too much about what was going on it was just so much to take in at one time and my partner at the time uh, says that I didn't really sit there for more than like half a second but it felt like forever and so I start the compressions and um, first thing that happens is is I uh, see blood return not to the patient but out of the patient uh, from the mouth and so that goes to something that I'll I'll say for you that haven't had your first code always be looking for what caused it you know and that gave us a, a hint towards towards a respiratory issue of some kind maybe and so we see that so first of all all the all the practice scenarios I ran they were clean they were easy it was just this nice, clean mannequin that you do compressions on, and you slap the AED on, and you do the BVM, and, and everything, you know, by the time you're done, they come back. And uh, this was not working that way. So I'm doing my compressions, my partner's doing the ventilations and suctioning, we get the AED on, or the, the cardiac monitor on, and it's time to analyze. So that, that first time that you really analyze a patient, or the first time that you, you take a pause on compressions, to see what's going on, you'll notice it feels like a very, very long time. It's really not. It's not that long at all. But it just felt like so, so long. And so uh, my partner says, okay, uh, no rhythm, uh, no shock advised. And so we, we go back to compressions. Okay, and now we're thinking, okay, we got to get to a hospital. We're, we're two EMTs at the service. We we don't really, uh, you know, we can't give all the meds that we could give if we were in the ER. So we're thinking, let's let's get them and go. So we get them ready for transport, which I never thought about that aspect of how hard it would be to maintain quality compressions, get somebody on a stretcher or backboard, get them into an ambulance, strap them in. And so we, we get all that done. And, and you can imagine uh, me trying to fumble around with this, but thank goodness there were other people there that that had more experience in, than me that could, could help us figure it out. And so we get them uh, in the ambulance. And of course, uh, CPR during transport is way harder than I thought it would be. 
I never considered that it would be more difficult to maintain those perfect compressions and that rate while trying to balance yourself and not fall on the patient and and just trying to figure out everything else that's going on in the back of the truck. But, you know, it went, I guess, as good as could be expected in the back of the ambulance and the hospital wasn't far at all. So uh, we, we get to the hospital. They know we're coming. We had given a report on the way. We, we get to the handoff and it, it's hard to let go. You know, this is, this is my patient. This is my first code. I feel responsible for this. I want to do something about this. How do I keep helping? What do I do next? And they, they wanted me to continue compressions. And, and so we had switched already. There's, there's a whole two minutes and switching thing happening and, and that's fine. So I got to use the BVM as well. And, and all of that was going, you know, as, as should be expected. None of it went bad. Uh, but the end result was, you know, not what we had practiced for. We, we did CPR in the hospital for a little bit and the, the doctor called it. And I just remember thinking, well, that's not how this works. They haven't walked out of here yet. Aren't they supposed to sit up and start talking? Why are we not doing that? What's going on here? Who's going to, who's going to walk out there and tell this family, um, that it didn't work? Because I never had considered that. I'd never considered um, anything but the physical work of doing the compressions. And, uh, and that may sound silly because maybe everybody else thinks about the other part of it. But it just had never occurred to me. You know, the, the whole act of CPR, the whole, the whole skill set there, the, the physical act of it, really didn't bother me all that much. But when I looked up at when I was doing compressions, it could see this family and how sad they were and how hard it was for them to watch this happen, that's when I realized what the hardest part about EMS is. And it's that these are real people with families, just like you, just like me. And they weren't expecting that that day. Just like I wasn't expecting it, I was, I was ready for it in my mind um, to go do CPR for the first time. But I wasn't expecting it. And they certainly weren't. And so, you know, the, the doctor, of course, it wasn't, I wasn't going to be the one that had to go out there and tell this family. And I watched the doctor go tell them. And I'm just thinking, how? How many times has this guy had to do this? And it's just, it's a hard thing to see. And so, if I could tell anybody that's never experienced the code, a um, handful of things. I, I would say, one... The training works, you know, uh, training to do CPR the right way gets you ready to do it mechanically. You can do CPR. What you learned is how you do CPR. Don't worry about how you're going to respond. Don't worry about if you're going to be able to physically do it. You can do it. CPR is really not all that hard. The physical act of it is not difficult. What you should prepare yourself for is, is what it feels like, you know, in your in your mind, uh, emotionally, all of that. Prepare yourself for, if you can, I mean, if it's even possible to, for what, what this really means. You know, take that into account, that this is a, a real person, that this is a real situation, and that um, you're there to try to help, you know. Just, just because the outcome is not as positive as all those scenarios that you practice doesn't mean that you didn't do your job. 
it's you know it's their emergency it's not yours you're just there to help and then you know thank goodness you are there to help what a what a privilege what an honor for you to be the person that shows up to to help and that's you know i i felt humbled by that that um that i'm here and and it's my responsibility to try to help and to try to change this this outcome and although the outcome wasn't what i wanted it to be or what i expected it to be it did teach me and i learned from it and i go to the next one and then the next one and then the next one and you find that uh you know physically it just gets easier and easier emotionally every single time you know you've got to eventually deal with what what you just did um what just happened the the cardiac arrest that was just experienced the fact that you were there the fact that they have a family and it's okay to deal with that now you you'll learn how to deal with that I, I can't tell you how to deal with that i don't i don't know what the answer is to that i do know that um you're a special kind of person if you put yourself in a position to have to deal with it so that's what i would take away from this is um everyone out there even those that, are, that have already experienced many many codes they they've all felt the same way at some point or another and maybe they're better at blocking it at this point which um all i know is that's probably not the healthiest way to deal with it but you know each to his own um it's it's a rough experience the first time it's um adrenaline pumping you're you've had all this build up to this point where everybody says that uh that this is going to happen that you're going to have a code at some point your instructors are saying it all the time um and here it is and it happens and it's a real thing and uh i hope that when you get there you'll feel prepared i felt prepared i, I felt like i did what i was supposed to do and uh, i think everybody else there felt the same about themselves and hopefully about me i don't know if they didn't, they didn't tell me that. Um, but uh, the outcome may not change. The, you may end that, that situation and the patient may not get up and walk off. And you've got to, to learn to be okay with that. So anyways, um, not a whole lot to say other than that. It's just, it was such a, a different thing and uh, if you've ever experienced it on either side of it as the provider or as the family member, you know, um, it helps to, to share that with people, to talk to people about it. It's a good thing to, to talk about uh, in the right setting. And so uh, if you're ever interested in coming on and doing an episode and talking about the first time you had a code and what it felt like and, and how different it was than, than what you expected or how exactly like what you expected it was, it was, you know, however confusing that statement was. If it was very similar to what you felt like it should be, great, that's fine. If it wasn't, that's also fine. But I'd love to, to talk to some more people about it. I talked to a student about their first code the other day, and we talked for about 30 minutes about it and how different it was and how hard it was. And, um, you know, you're, you're not, uh, this isn't a, a feel bad for me type episode. This is more of a an informative kind of thing just to put my story out there um everybody's got their own i've got lots of other stories of cardiac arrest situations that that did have good outcomes or that just went different than that or or for whatever reason we're just different and um, i'm sure we'll get to more of those someday
But today, that was uh, the first code, the first one. For all you out there, I know everybody's uh, experiencing this COVID-19 thing. Never in my lifetime has anything like this really happened. You know, we, we've had swine flu and Ebola and all that other, the, uh, what, I can't even remember all of them, uh, H1N1, all that kind of stuff. Um, but nothing like this. And, and I don't hear it. It's just a unique situation that all of these first responders and healthcare providers find themselves in. And, uh, you know, I'd love to sit down and chat with some of you that are on the front lines of it. I'm currently not on the front lines of it. I'm trying to prepare new EMTs uh, to get out there and, and help you once they're ready. Um, so hopefully with, uh, your input and you know, all you providers out there, I can train these, uh, new EMTs and advanced EMTs to get out there and, and do their part to help. Um, you know, it'll be something that'll be in the history books and you'll have been a part of it, all of you guys. So anyways, uh, thanks to all you, uh, frontline workers, uh, not even just the healthcare, all the people out there just dealing with this all the retail people everybody you know it's been a, a thing for everyone it's not it's for for once it's something that's that's affecting everybody um and it's not just uh you know one or two groups of people that's just affected us all so anyways um good luck out there stay safe if you're interested uh, about becoming an EMT or learning more about our program please feel free to go to our Facebook page Texas EMS school uh, or our website, texasemsschool.com. Uh, we're doing a thing right now. You can get started the first two weeks. You can just try out the program. We put some of the really neat stuff up front so you can look at what some of the interesting stuff you could be doing as an EMT. Look at what it's like. Um, get a feel for it. So we'd love to have um, anybody and everybody out there that, that feels like they're, they're ready for this field uh, please give us a call. Talk to us about it. You can get to us. Our number is 325-218-4444. And we'll, uh, we'll see if until next time. Uh, this is EM Talk and I'm Judd Smith.